You're listening to Christina's Room Podcast, a place where startup founders, entrepreneurs, and executives can find inspiration from me and other founders to grow awesome businesses and fulfill their dreams. My name is Christina Imre, and I coach VC-backed startup founders and mission-oriented leaders drive in business and life. Hi, everyone. Allow me to present our guest for today, who is Scott DiGiamarino, the CEO and founder of Moviecom, a platform that uses movie clips to supercharge your people, or if I use their words, legally approved motivational movie clips to help today's leaders lead. Welcome to the show, Scott. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. You're one of my favorite people, and you know that. And Somebody, somebody loves me. <laughs> okay, yeah, that would be very tough to do. And <laughs> our show, I think it will be very interesting, especially because you're such a natural storyteller, and you have so many stories to tell, and uh, I believe that founders all over the world can find some great gems from you today. And I would love to jump in. I, I have two topics that I prepared, and uh, maybe we will have time for more. We will see. The first is obviously our common favorite word, leadership. And here you have so many things to say because you come from the corporate world. You are one of the top-notch leaders in American Express. I call you in my mind the leaders boomers. And here I want you to just learn from your stories and especially those who are listening to us today. And if we could start here, because you were also a long-term kind of executive. You stayed there for 24 years or something like that. And that is absolutely amazing. And then you transition to become an entrepreneur. And that's the second part of our discussion. And I think that uh, this will be very, very interesting. So let's just dig in. And if you could tell us your story at American Express, how you landed there and how you, you managed to create those amazing leaders around you. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm actually really, I've been waiting for this. I'm so excited about being with you guys today. Um, so um, I'm from Boston originally, um, and I started at American Express in the late uh, late 80s, excuse me, uh, 88, 89. Um, and we were in the financial advisor division. So we were in investments, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, financial planning for people. Um, and I built, I was building a practice. I had clients. And then I got the, I got the leadership bug. Um, at a very young age, 24, 25 years old. And so at the time you could become a manager, right? So, so I became a manager and what I did as a manager is I went out and I recruited people, uh, mostly into the business, mostly college students. Um, we would train them, we would motivate them and we would hopefully help them build their business and their, and their practices so they become successful. And there were 800 districts around the country, 800 managers around the country. Uh, and out of the 800 people, I was the number one guy in the country, the way they ranked us for three straight years. Um, so when that happens, uh, they come after you about going to the next level, which is a vice president job. Um, and I'm 28, 29 years old. And uh, I, want, I wanted to stay in Boston. I didn't want to leave. But all of a sudden, they started offering jobs in San Diego and Miami and Philadelphia and uh, L.A. and San Francisco, basically anywhere in the country we wanted to go. So I said, you know, I'm going to go to D.C. I had family here. It was only a, it was an easy flight back and forth to Boston if I wanted to. There's a lot of colleges. It was kind of like my type of city. But when I got here, um, the region that I took over was ranked 173rd out of 176. 
Um, it was a disaster. <laughs> I, I walked into this place. People weren't showing up for work, Christina. They were uh, they were negative. You know me. I don't like negative people. Um, uh, we had compliance issues all over the place. It was just one of those. I walked in. I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> um, so anyway, so what ended up happening was when you're in the middle of it, turnaround situation um you have to paint this compelling vision it's the first thing you should do so what so we had 32 employees i walk in front of them i said okay guys here's where we're going and I, I painted this really exciting um um vision i thought about where we're going if they jumped on the bus and i said look i said this you have a choice i said i said we're gonna have this island and there's there's beautiful beaches and there's there's uh there's skiing over here if you want you don't have to worry about money you have all the flexibility and the freedom in the world if you follow our systems, if you choose not to follow our systems and you can be negative Nancy um, and you be kind of grumpy, you know, this isn't the place for you anymore. So in the first week out of the 32 people, 18 quit or we fired them. So we got kind of got down to the bottom, but that was okay with me at the time. So, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to recruit people into the organization that, that shared the same passion, the same vision, the same principles, the same values that I had. Long story short, in a one-year period, it was October of 1992 to October of 1993. In one year, we went from number 173 to number one. Uh, and we maintained that top ranking for over 20 years. So but the story gets better because what ended up happening was um, um, American Express measures us on both hard numbers and soft numbers. So your hard numbers are your, like your year-over-year growth, your profitability. Your soft numbers are things like employee engagement, leadership impact scores, uh, which as you know, because your background, that's kind of the temperature check of the heartbeat of the organization. Uh, and we were best in class in that for years, but the problem we were running into is we were growing too fast. So I'll give you an example. In a six-year period, we went from one office to 207. We went from 32 employees to 1,600. Um, and we went from three leaders underneath me to well over 100. And because we were best in class, um, all my peers around the country used to call me and they say, can I come visit you? <laughs> um, and so, because they wanted to see what we were doing. They wanted to steal best practices. So they'd come with their teams. They'd spend a couple of weeks with us. Um, and then they'd go back to their respective cities. And, and then magically, they would always have a job opening for a vice president job when they went back. And magically, they would always steal my top talent. So it's funny, in a five-year period, we promoted out over 150 leaders that worked for me to other parts of the country. Um, and at, at American Express, you were recognized for that. So they, because they, because we, we became a leadership development machine. Um, um, we were great at identifying people that talent, putting them into a leadership system and getting them ready to take over offices for us. But at some point in time, you hit blood. What I mean by that is um, I couldn't produce them fast enough to replace the ones that were going. And the number one, and I could, I could train them up, but the challenge I was running into is they were getting younger and younger and younger. So they didn't have the, the life lessons per se in order to you know, take that responsibility. And I, and I didn't want to take somebody in from the outside uh, um, because you know, they, didn't go, they weren't born through my systems. So that was challenge one. Challenge two was that um, we hired directly out of college, as I mentioned earlier. What I didn't know, what I didn't know then, but I know now, it was the beginning of the millennial generation. Okay, and and this generation, along with the Gen Zers, I think long term will be remembered as the two greatest generations ever. 
uh, for a variety of reasons, a whole other topic, which we can get into at another time. But um, but all of a sudden, we're teaching these training classes, and, and people stopped laughing at my jokes. <laughs> they stopped listening to my stories. They started checking out. And what I didn't know um, was that is that um, that generation had shorter attention spans. So, that, so what I learned was the days of the three-hour meeting were over. And the days of me just taking a whiteboard or a PowerPoint presentation, it was always boring, right? Had to change. Because if I didn't change the way we led people, trained people, motivated people, communicated with people, what would happen is they would, they would check out, they would disengage, and they would ultimately quit. And the cost for me of recruiting, training, retaining is, was huge. So, um, and then the third issue was, the third challenge we're running into was as my region, my scope grew. Um, up and down the East Coast of, of the United States, um, um, they wanted me to travel. So, and I, I would go in and I would, I would fly to Connecticut and I would give a speech and I would shake hands and I would kiss babies and, <laughs> and then, but I didn't feel as I was making an impact. And it was affecting my personal, my, my uh, personal life, which is being a dad, you know, and a husband. And so um, I used to coach my girls' soccer team and the basketball team, and I didn't want to give that up. So, so bottom line, the challenge ran to American Express was that I was trying to uh, lead an organization, grow an organization to record heights with a junior leadership team. And we're going to have to pivot the way we've done things in the past to, to basically be able to talk and engage with the younger generation, all while me having a life. <laughs> so that, that, that's kind of the issues that we had at Amex. I would like to add here something very interesting because as far as I see, there is a lot of drive and ambition in you at a very early age. You're just like, you're a fish in corporate. You're ambitious and you know, okay, I'm here. I want to do the best I can. But your focus was always people. And especially you do have this uh, warm heart for the young generation and you do have a lot of projects in this regard. So you did have this challenge as well and also to notice. So you have the curiosity to discover people and how you can enable them to do their best. It was something innate in you or how did you, because you are also a learner. And so when did you discover that, hey, I'm very good with leadership and, and it's something that I can just grow and grow and grow? Um, it, it goes back to high school, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, actually, when I was a kid, I mean, I used to, we used to organize um, uh, games in the backyard. I'm the guy who always used to get people together. I was captain of my football team way back when, and, you know, we had a great run there. And I, I just love to, to motivate people. I've inspired people. Because your, your point earlier is, is I believe in people's potential. Um, I, and the core of me is, is I think everybody in the world can be great personally, professionally, whatever they want to do, they can be great. But I learned that it takes great leadership in order to help people tap into that potential. So, so think about going to school, whether it's, you know, whether it's when you were younger or college, university, whatever it may be, we've all had great professors. We've all had terrible professors, right? And that, and, and it's not the fact that they're not, they don't care per se. It's a fact that may, maybe it's their charisma. Maybe it's their personality that, that may not have worked. So I've learned that if you have passion and you genuinely care about people and you genuinely believe in people, great things can happen. And I've seen that my entire life, whether it's growing up or whether it's in the corporate space or now the entrepreneurial space, 
Um, and so that's the essence of me. That's the core of me. I've seen, you know, you know, a bell curve is in life where you get, you know, 10% of people that are great, no matter what they do. And you get 10% of people that kind of struggle, may not be in the right place. And you get everybody else in the middle of the 80%. I believe, I, 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 I believe in the 80 percenters. I think the 80 percenters can do unbelievable things if they have the right leadership. Just tell a little bit, because I wrote about this topic. I have uh, articles on this, but uh, many founders, maybe they don't know. And it's so good to, to just have these percentages. It's so amazing to just know that. Because once you build the organization and you, you do know that, hey, more than 10% mostly, most likely won't be better than they are already. And the other 10% as well. But the 80%, those are who are convertible in the direction of the leader or the teacher who inspires you, right? The same way that the teacher inspired you. By the way, do you have a teacher in mind when you said that you were in high school and you saw the impact the teacher can have over a- I'm not necessarily a teacher per se for me, uh, but I'll tell, you about a, I'll tell you about a coach that I had. Mm. So one- so In I, high school? I, uh, high school. So I played both baseball and baseball and football. And, and, and let's, let me take you a baseball analogy. So in baseball, um, one spring we paid, we played 18 games and we had a coach that was always negative. He would yell at you. What's your problem? Come on with, you know, get, get, you know, get your tail going. How did you make that error? Just like negative, 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 negative. So I had the worst season of my life. I made all these errors. I didn't hit well. I was just, all this bad stuff happened to me. And I, I wanted to quit the sport, right? After playing since I was five years old. A month later, after that season ended, we play what they call summer league baseball. Okay. And I had a coach that was positive, that was upbeat, that was, that was, don't worry about it. We got your back. That's, you know, cheering you on the whole time. Um, we played three times as many games. I didn't make one error all season. Um, I, 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 I quadrupled my batting average, which is a good thing for those people that follow baseball. And, um, um, and I was back to being happy. And what I learned from me personally, I like being around positive people. Uh, the negative people bum me out, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and I just don't, I don't want to, I learned that I don't want to surround myself with those types of people anymore in my life. Um, and, and I, and I stayed true with that until today. So go back to the 80% of real quick. There was a guy I know who worked for me when I first moved in. He was he was ready to quit, right? 24, 25 years old. He was so bummed out. He's like, look, I can't make it. I'm not making the money. I'm not happy. I'm not going to ever be successful. And, and when we surrounded him with support, emotionally, systems, et cetera, right now, he he's I think he's making almost, almost $3 million a year um, in the same industry. Um, you know, 20 years later, I mean, and what, and that kind of goes into the movie clip idea that we uh, will talk about. Okay. It's because part of the strategy we did was we started communicating with people via short video before short video was short video. <laughs> right. So this will be the next topic just before that. What I find interesting is that you are very good in corporate. You were an executive, so politics and handling all of those things that are not exactly human-centered were also a forte of yours, but you always had this people-centric approach. How did you manage to combine the two? Why I'm asking, because especially for a founder and who needs to deal with so many angles and 
the founded founders as well. They have a board now. They need to talk with everyone, everyone to be as happy as they get and to let them lead their way to their vision. So it's very important to know how to, to combine or to personalize your communication. How did you do it? Because it was very good in your case. You were natural at this. Well, here's what's cool about American Express. I think it's one of the best companies in the world, quite frankly. They were, and they were very much about leadership and leadership development. So I learned so much uh, from the people that I reported to back in the day. I don't know if that many companies are like this that are focused on leadership, leadership. And matter of fact, I've heard stories about one of the first things people cut, companies cut is leadership. Okay, which I think is a humongous mistake, right? So that, that's kind of one was the I grew up in the environment that thought, that thought that leadership mattered, okay? And they wanted us, they wanted to give us everything they possibly could so we could be the best. Number two was my boss's boss when I was young used to have this thing called Witty Wiffy, W D Y W F Y. And that stands for what do you want for yourself? Okay, WDYWFY. And what that is, is it's a meeting that you have a couple times a year with your employees. And you basically say, hey, Christina, tell me, you know, tell me what's important to you. Tell me what you want for yourself personally. What do you want for yourself professionally? What do you want to do from a self-development standpoint? And just kind of this one-on-one, -on -one, very light conversation, which is all about you. Um, and so there was, a, there was a way that we were taught to do this type of meeting. And, um, um, and what that was all about was we believed if people could get what they wanted personally, you could be a great wife, you could be, a, you could be, you could be get back into shape, you could read books, you could learn, you could learn how to play the piano. <laughs> you know, if people had balance, then we would get best efforts professionally. So, so people have goals. And part of our job through this witty wiffy process is to understand what people's goals were. And, and, and which leads me to the number one characteristic I've learned that leaders need to have in order to be successful. That number one characteristic is that you have to genuinely care about your people. Because if you don't genuinely care, they're going to see it. But if you do genuinely care, what's going to happen is, at least I found this, is that people will, be, uh, will trust you. And trust builds loyalty, right? Uh, and loyalty usually gets you best efforts, and best efforts usually leads to bottom line results. So that's how we did it. We did it based on every single employee. We want to know what was important to them, personally and professionally. We wanted to support them and help enable them so they can get it. So I'll give a quick, quick example. If you say, hey, listen, I want, I want to work out three days a week, and um, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, um, and I like to do it at 8 o'clock in the morning, great. So when I see you in the hallway, I said, hey, how was your workout today? You know, because if you didn't do it, like, ah, Christine, I'm telling you, you, you told me you're going to do this. So that that was one of the many, many variables, but probably one of the key variables that I found in order to build an environment and a culture where people felt connected to one another. Basically, you pinpointed what I wanted to say about culture. You arrived to a company that already had this leadership culture. And do you have maybe sometimes uh, some thoughts about, okay, in another corporation where leadership, it's not a big thing, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today? Well, um, I would say that I, I very much valued it. I was a student of it. Um, and they, they, Merck's was clearly gave me the runway to do what, I, what my passion was in leadership. 
Um, but other organizations, to your point, don't do that, <laughs> you know, and it's, and, and I talk to people and it's at, at other organizations, I'm talking fortune 50 companies, fortune 100 companies. Um, and you can see it in the results. They get people quitting, you know, they get retention issues. Um, they've got, um, bad employee engagement surveys, which as you know, are running what 30, 31% engagement. And, and at the millennial level, that number is like 17% engagement, right? So, so, and then what's funny about folks is that they're not willing to change. Their attitude is, well, we've always done it this way. It should always be this way. And, the, and, and they're not realizing that the employee base today, I don't know if you know, but in the next couple of years, 75% of the global workforce will be the millennials and the Zers. And that, that, that um, generation, those generations think differently, act differently, expect different things. Um, and if leadership doesn't adapt to them, what's going to happen is, as I mentioned earlier, they're done. They're out of there because they won't have the loyalty. And you're going and 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 I had one guy the other day who said, "Listen, I just lost thirty percent of my workforce." Uh, <laughs> I said, and as we started digging in, it came back to they spent zero time in terms of uh, connecting with individuals. They thought they thought they were a number. Yeah, dinosaurs. That's why they are I, not in top 100 anymore and that's why the list and and the lifespan of that list goes down and down for companies yeah okay so uh, let's dig into your movie clips because that was a huge discovery and I'm curious to to know exactly when you started to apply because you had your tests inside the company what can I do for my uh, leadership team, for my future leaders to become motivated and happy at work and give their best? So, and, yeah. so, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. So I think you felt my pain, of our growth pains over that six-year period when I give you all the numbers, right? And losing all the people, et cetera. So I had to figure out a way to connect with people in a way I've never connected before. Okay, because um, if not, because our leading indicators that employee engagement scores, the leadership impact scores were shaking a little bit. And I saw it like, oh gosh, if we don't do something, we're in trouble, something creative. Um, but I found myself constantly repeating myself. So I go in and say the same thing over and over and over again. And I could just start sensing that it wasn't getting across to people. So I was always looking for different ways to get the same message across, but it did come out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, so, um, um, so I love movies. I'm the type of guy when I watch a movie, I remember the lines, I remember the scenes um, and um, I get goosebumps, quite frankly, you know, and, and I remember I was in a movie theater one time, which by the way, I think too many people go to movie theaters anymore, <laughs> at least in the United States with COVID and all. But um, there was a movie called Braveheart. Have you ever, you ever seen Braveheart? Uh, William First. Wallace, Mel Gibson, etc. There was this one scene, his face was painted white and blue. And he's on his horse, he's trying to rally the troops to go to war. Um, and it was just this motivating moment. And I'm sitting there saying, oh my God, I wish all 1,600 of my employees are in this, are, are in this room. Because I would stop the movie and I would say, guys, what did you just see? How does this relate to what we do? How much passion do you have? So I started asking these questions, right? So, so my wife said, well, why don't you just use your love for movies as a way of getting your message across to people? I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. How do I do that? <laughs> so what I did was um, I created a list of key messages, or I call them themes, that I wanted to get across to my folks. It was usually my principles and my values, right? Soft skills, life lessons, um, uh, perseverance, courage, teamwork, hope, 
uh, ethics, um, uh, hustle 101, leadership, motivation. I had 300 of them. Every week, I decided on a Monday morning, I decided to send out an email to everybody saying, uh, this week's about a certain theme. So this week is about courage. And I would type up why courage was important, a couple of sentences. Um, and I would say, you know, it kind of reminds me of the movie, pick a movie, you know, um, uh, Pitch Perfect. Now, I'd say, for those who've never seen it before, it's about X, Y, and Z. And as you're watching this scene, I'd love for you to share back with me the most courageous decision of your life. And we would email this out every week for 20 years, right? Um, and what was funny is we would get back like 300 stories a week from people that had nothing to do with business. They'd say, when I was nine years old, let me tell you what happened to me. And they, people were pouring their hearts out. Um, and I would try to respond to as many people as I possibly could, but the best couple of stories of the week, with your permission, I would share them with everybody else. So imagine getting an email from one of your peers in another office, and they start telling their story about their courageous story when they were nine years old. And they're tying it into the movie clip. Um, so you can imagine the culture, the environment that was built, that was supported by the storytelling, right, became part of our you know, DNA. So all of a sudden, I get a phone call from the CEO of American Express saying, what are you doing? <laughs> because our number's like, Phew. Um, and he said, uh, we're going to send McKinsey in the study. McKinsey is one of the largest consulting firms in the world, as you know. Um, and they want, and we used to spend billions of dollars on McKinsey. And they, they walked in with their team. They spent six or eight weeks seeing what we're doing because Marxist is a copycat league, meaning that what's going well, they love best practices. And they, share, they, they share and get it up to all the other offices. So they came back with this report. And inside the report was talking about a culture environment. And they said the storytelling culture that we had built supported by these iconic movie clips was part of our secret sauce. So all of a sudden throughout all of Amex, I see people using our clips in emails like I was using them and keynote speeches and PowerPoint presentations and our internal Slack, et cetera. So like, geez, if, 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 if McKinsey says this is working, the top leaders in America Express are using my system, maybe we're on to something. So I started cold calling the Hollywood movie studios. Disney, Universal, Paramount, Sony, Warner Brothers, all the big, the big ones. There are seven big ones. I said, look, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you what I've been doing. Um, and I, and I, I think there are billions of people around the world that if we could systematize this, I think we could change lives. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, an employee, a student, a parent, a teacher, a coach, doesn't matter who you are. I think if we motivated people, if we inspired people, if we, if we taught them through short video, okay, people will retain what they watched, which I'll talk about in a second. But you didn't um, think then to launch your own company, right? This was just internally. Yeah, this was, well, this was, I was still in American Express, but I was thinking about what was next, Right. So, so basically I'm, I'm saying to myself, you know, maybe there's something here. And my original plan was to stay at American Express and just build this and just go sell it inside or find someone to run it for me. But Hollywood is very, very slow um, in making decisions. Um, and, and please don't lose respect for me. <laughs> it took me nine and a half years of negotiating to finally get a yes. Um, um, I could tell you story after story after story about, about how I get taken to the back of the woodshed by the studio saying, you can't do this. 
Um, you know, it's we have because there are what they call the guilds here: Screen Actors Guild, Writers Guild, Directors Guilds. That are the union of the movie stars, and then you have the studios, and and they have to sync. So we had to figure out a way to make both parties happy. Um, and then finally, after nine and a half years, I get a call from Universal Studios, who said, "Hey, I think we got this thing figured out." And long story short, we became one of the first companies in the history of Hollywood to gain legal access to their movie libraries so I could build the movie clip business that we were talking about. This is awesome. And uh, I know this story, but I'm very, very interested. What makes you so resilient? You didn't give up for those nine years. What makes you be this way? <laughs> um, Sports again? No, I'll, I'll tell you three things. Um, one of my one of the guys who used to work for me came to me up to me one day. We were number one for like, like I said, like 20 years. He goes, he goes, I finally figured you out. I'm like, okay, please help me because I haven't figured myself out, right? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, you come to work every day slightly aggravated. Right? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> um, and what, what that is, is I'm never satisfied. Um, and, and you said it earlier is that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a constant learner. That's kind of my gig. I love to learn. And, you know, like, let's take social media for a second. You know, um, you know, I get two daughters who are, who are constantly on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, for me, I'm like, what is this? So once I kind of dig into one of the social media platforms, once I figure out Facebook, all of a sudden there's Instagram, now there's TikTok or whatever else is going to be, Twitch, et cetera. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's 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 a constant learning thing for me. So that always keeps me on edge. So that was one. And then the second thing that kept me going was it's my belief in people again. Um, is is that I know that I'm trying to do something different. And people are always saying, What are you doing? I, I don't get it. Right. And, and, and my attitude is that's great that you don't get it. I do. I've seen this work. I've seen the, the what movie clips or short video can do to the impact of people. In fact, I did a TED talk about it. You know, you know, you know TED talks. So we have a TED talk called uh, why movies move us. And it's all about the neuroscience of the brain. What is when you watch a short video, eight studies show that 81%, 81% of people watch a short video, especially millennials and Zers. Um, will not will not only remember what they watched, but they'll remember how they felt. And emotion, happiness, sad, frustration, uh, uh, motivation, whatever it may be, emotion drives behavior and actions. So that was kind of like the, the science behind all of this. Um, and the third thing, quite frankly, is I just care. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want to make a difference in, in the world uh, in my second half of my life. Um, you know, so with American Express, like we had 1,600 people, 40,000 employees, but I, I think there are millions and millions and millions of people around the world that I would just love to figure out a way that I can take something and leave this legacy where, where I helped you feel stronger, I helped you feel more confident, I helped you take a risk, um, I helped you think, um, build your self-esteem, and I do it through the magic of movies. Let's transition a little bit from your corporate world to the founder world where you you needed to learn so many different lessons besides the fact that your wife should be the co-founder because she gave you the idea and then <laughs> that they are the cinema when did you start to think about movie come becoming a reality and how was that shift for you because you were like a from many stand of view a typical uh, executive in a corporate environment 
I can tell you, my entire life, I've, I faced a lot of challenges. The number one challenge that I faced by far, if anybody asks me, is transitioning from corporate to, to entrepreneur. It was really hard. Um, and the re- it was hard for a variety of reasons. You know, um, number one was I used to have a humongous staff and I would delegate everything. <laughs> I became the king of knowing nothing because I, I, I was great at identifying other people within the organization that I led that could, was great at invoicing or great at doing the computer or was great at something, right? Um, because if everything fell on me, I wouldn't be able to get anything done. When I left my big fat corner office for working out of the house at the time here in, in, in Washington, D.C. area, uh, I realized how much I didn't know. So I didn't, I didn't know how to scan. <laughs> you know, I did, I, you know, we went from Dell, a Dell computer to the Mac. I didn't know how to use a Mac. Um, um, we didn't know how to invoice. Um, there's a, there was such a steep learning curve for me that I was really a fish out of water and I had nowhere to go to find help. So that was one big thing that I had in, in transitioning. The second thing I had was I was used to leading others, motivating others, firing these guys up. Um, um, now I had to lead, motivate, and fire up myself. Um, and that was weird. <laughs> You know, you know, how do you do that? And it just takes this mental discipline um, um, to come to work every day, because when you're an entrepreneur, especially early on, um, you have moment by moment emotions. It's not day to day or hour by hour. It's moment by moment. You have a bad moment, a good moment, but you got to keep on keeping on. Right. Um, and then the other thing I learned is you got to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, better than you. Um, that have different skill sets in you that can help execute on the strategic plan. So we're constantly on the lookout for new talent, marketing, technology, strategy, um, strategic partnerships out there that we, you know, with strategic channel partners, which is where I spend a majority of my time. Um, so, but and, and so all of this basically was was an extremely difficult time because also of opportunity cost. So when I left American Express to start MovieCon, I left once I found out we got the deal, the nine and a half years, right? Um, I started getting these calls from, from, from all of our old competitors. Hey, come work for us, sit on our board. You know, they were throwing big time money and you know, big time opportunity. I'm like, I'm like, look, I've done this for 24 years. I said, I've been there, done that. I said, I get this other passion. I got to try it. I just got to try it. So, um, so, but that was when, when, but when your moments are low, you've got to have this mental discipline. It's kind of like riding a bike, right? When you're mo, when you're mo, think about the two bike, uh, two pedals. When you're motivated, you don't have to have as much discipline. But when motivation is down, discipline has to kick in. Um, so I've learned to be very, very disciplined since I started this. This is an important topic because you know, uh, especially now that entrepreneurship is cool and founding a company, not now, but during the last ten years, maybe. Many people are leaving, right, corporate to become entrepreneurs and found their first company. So, and many give up too early. So I believe that your resilience and discipline is one of the lessons. For example, share us a little bit more from your wisdom, how long it took for you to truly embrace. Okay, this is completely different. Now I need to motivate myself. Now I don't have the team to do everything and I can just delegate the tasks. What can I... Now I am in a comfortable position that I know this is a different life, but I, I still embrace it and I will move on. Well, I was fortunate 
I was fortunate financially. So I didn't have the financial pressures that most entrepreneurs have personally to, you know, to, to run a family and things like that because we did okay in my old life. One, number two is I have a very, very close friend who's a senior, senior person, one of the biggest consulting firms in the world. And he told me they did this study and they were talking about entrepreneurs. And they said, for most people that are building technology-based platforms, which is what I was doing, right? They said, on average, it takes 10 to 12 years in order to be successful. Like 10 to 12 years, I want 10 to 12 days, <laughs> or 10 to 12 months uh, for me, because I was used to instant results, right? I was like, I don't have the patience to wait 10 to 12 years. But every single time that I felt low, or every single time that I wanted to quit, um, something happened. And I don't know about you, but I believe in signs. Right, it's just something good happens. Something, a phone call, an email, uh, uh, an opportunity that pops up. I'm like, you know, something. That's just a sign that I should just keep going. Um, you know, it's funny. Like during COVID, right? You know, people were bummed out. I mean, it was hard for for, for the entire world. So I'm so I'm saying to myself, I can look at that as a negative, right? Or I can look at it as an opportunity to help people. And that, and I chose the latter, obviously. So we, we, we made some shifts in our product line from MovieCon, um, where we started targeting individuals instead of just leaders so that they could help themselves. Because if you think about leadership, right, uh, there are three different types of leadership. You run your organization. I mean, I'm sorry, you lead your organization, one. You lead your team, two. Or you lead yourself, three. So leading yourself is really about, about you, your our, you know, our all-time favorite subject. And, and it takes a different mindset and a different mentality and different systems in order to do that. So by me having this library of 7,000 movie clips that we, that we have developed that run from one second to three minutes, um, it, and as we, they're, they're great. I mean, 30% of motivational, inspirational, the differentials like life lessons, soft skills, and you watch this and you say to yourself, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And that's what kept, kept me going. I think that uh, this is very, very important for so many to have the final vision. Hey, I am bored for 10, 12 years, although in tech companies today, uh, this span is going down and it went for many companies, but it's good to have that mindset from the beginning. And I always say that if you are just not comfortable in your mind that for the initial five, seven years, you won't do anything else, then don't expect to truly have a company to sell or to scale or to bring to the next level where you can uh, truly become a unicorn and change the world in your direction. Oh, we used to, we, we used to talk, this, we, we used to have this uh, conversation with, when people joined our business at American Express, we talked about burning the ships. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a story out there uh, from, I think his name was Cortez, who came, who came across from, I think, Spain to, to the United States, way back when or could another country, I'm not sure, but I think it was Spain. Um, but anyway, he landed in the United States way back when, before there was anything, and, and the people that were on the ship said, you know, what are we doing here? Let's go home. All right, so he, he went back and Cortez burned all his ships. Okay, and so that's what I said is we can't have a plan B. Okay, he said, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Right. And so Cortez didn't have a plan B because we're going to make it in America. Right. I said, we at MovieCom said we're not going to have a plan B, even though all the opportunity costs and the board jobs and the money, et cetera. That's great. I want to do this. And so that's the decision we made. 
to give some uh, good experience and also hope. So you had those moments where you fell down and that you just want to give up, but you don't give up. And then something happens to show you the way and you reach it like a, a sign that, okay, yeah, this is it. And then you recall all of those memories and talks and quotes from the people who told you, hey, you need to stick on this way. And that's why movie comes slowly but godly grew and it's interesting your story also because you're not a funded company yet although you're very close to it right now and this was also a long process maybe a longer process than for other startups but I want to understand the way you approach it and where are you now and uh, what's the way you see Movicom being different than other companies? So that's a great question. So, so our, so what we do is it's, it's moviecom.com. You go, go check it out. We, um, like I said, we have about 7,000 movie clips in the system right now. And we put, um, uh, we have artificial intelligence built in to help you find what you're looking for quickly. So you can, you can look by facial recognition. I type in Tom Cruise or Angelina Jolie. It finds it. You can type in about the movie. You can type in uh, an object like a basketball or, you know, a cell phone and, you know, it finds a cell phone. Um, you can put a keyword in like the word courage uh, or a full sentence like I'm proud of you. And our technology, our AI finds that quickly. So think about a very organized, ad-free, legally approved, which is a big deal, easy to find YouTube. So ad-free, legally approved, easy to find YouTube, right? Is what in organized. That's what we basically built. So at the center of what we do was originally a tool to help leaders, like we talked about, engage, motivate, and inspire their teams, especially if they have a younger team. And I used to say, especially if they're decentralized, but right now everybody's decentralized, right? Which is good for us. Um, and in that core, uh, in that library down the road, we will add television. We will add user-generated content, um, but it'll all go through our AI so people can find it quickly. I used to use YouTube all the time. It became incredibly frustrating. Because it took me, if I didn't know what I was looking for, it would take me hours and hours and hours to find something. I had always had to deal with the ads and I and I was scared to death of copyright infringement. <laughs> I was going to go to jail. Okay, so at the core of what we do will always be uh, great videos. Um, out of that, we've identified 12 to 15 applications to how we could use that library. The initial application we use, as I mentioned, is leaders, which is my background. So this is a tool to help today's leaders motivate, inspire, and engage people. But all of a sudden, to your point, we started getting phone calls from all these people saying, hey, I'm a professor at a college or a university. Can I use this in my classroom? Yes, you can. Um, we get calls from e-learning developers that say, hey, listen, I'm building this e-learning module for K through 12 or higher ed or, or corporate. Can I build a learning module around the movie clip? Yes, you can. <laughs> so um, we have a bunch of these consumer plays that are coming out uh, that I, I can't tell you because they're not formal yet. So I can't announce them yet, but they're coming real soon. Um, but there are 12, you know, we're, we, we've gotten, um, we're working on something right now for people with anxiety and depression. Um, uh, which, you know, there are a vast amount of people around the world that have that where we can use our clips kind of in a, a, in a push technology on an app um, um, that hopefully could help them. So long-term, our vision is each of those different applications, we will run it as a, as a, as a, as a business within a business. Whether there'll be a president, there'll be infrastructure, there'll be P&L responsibilities, and they're all tapping into the core library. That's where we want to go. Last thing in the core library um, is that we've been approached by studios 
all over the world, Asia, Bollywood, Brazil. Um, and that's kind of our plan too, is that we have everything in one center with different applications of, way we're, of, the, of ways that we're, we're using the content. And that would bring the cultural element and it would be so unique, you know, for example, motivation, inspiration or public speaking, no matter what you want to take from your clips and just have a library with different nationalities and from different countries, movies that explain the same concept through their language. Uh, I think this would be awesome. And I also see the different lines where you can go with uh, the same library you built and uh, the functionalities, including in Mentor Hat, which is just absolutely amazing and another favorite topic of ours. Just to conclude with the financing and the funding um, and my question about your way to see things. So the way I saw it, you were not pressed to have the money. And so you didn't jump in to receive the money until you are not ready. And also you don't uh, receive the right terms, right? And there right. you are right now uh, juggling and having a couple of offers that you need to consider very well. And uh, right. you are very close to have your... Well, we, yeah, the plan. What the plan was was I didn't want to. I uh, I didn't want to um, um, raise money early on because I needed what they call proof of concept. I needed it to work right. Uh, and then we did a short raise. We did we we raised uh, like a it's called a friends and family raise. We raised about a million bucks. Three seed, yeah, yeah, three seed <laughs> that we knew right. That went really well. And then that helped us build the technology that we needed. That helped us get all the movies that we needed. Um, and then we start. And so now I'm ready to scale. Right. And so, so we were looking for a five to $10 million round. I, we've got the two point, I was telling you earlier, we got a couple of good organizations that are very interested. So we, you know, one's actually um, um, overseas. Um, uh, we haven't closed yet, but we're really close on a couple of them. But, but again, um, we were looking for strategic money. And what I mean by that is we didn't want someone just to give us money and leave us alone. We want someone to want to get involved, be in the board, open up some doors for us, uh, be strategic with us. That's kind of what we were looking for. Especially that you are also on the safe side with revenue. You are revenue generating for a while. And so it's not exactly another pressure. And you just jumped from your pre-seed family round to a series A type of round. And <laughs> I wish you best of luck. But, I, but, I'll, but, I'll, but I'll share with you, it always takes longer than you think, right? And it's always more expensive than you think. So, so yeah. but again, we, we've said no to a number of deals already um, just because it didn't feel right. Um, so we're, again, we're fortunate where we don't have to push per se financially, but, but in order to scale this puppy to get it to where it really needs to be. Yeah. We, we need the next round of funding. We definitely need a second, third episode. We can do a reality-based TV show. <laughs> yes. We discussed this, uh, one year back, I suppose, or something. Yeah. It would be good. Let's think about it. So it was awesome. A second edition needs to, to move on because I still have some interesting questions that where I am very certain that you can bring a lot of value to other founders. For today, I thank you a lot for this discussion. It just flew very quickly. And uh, I wish you best of luck with your current deals on the table. Yeah. Thank you. It's good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Subscribe to Christina's podcast and stay connected through her social media channels too.